New Horizon has been serving the church in Northern Ireland since 1989, and we're delighted to bring you this talk today. We trust you will be blessed through this ministry. Well, hi, I'm Catherine Hill, and I'm the UK Director at Care for the Family, and it is great to be with you at New Horizons this year. This seminar is called A Mind of Their Own, Building Your Child's Emotional Wellbeing in a Post-Pandemic World. And it's based on my book uh, of the same name. But let me pray as we begin. Father, we thank you for our families. We thank you for our children. And we thank you for this chance to gain some wisdom uh, from you as to the things that we can do to build emotional well-being in our children's lives. So help us now, I pray, lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was one of those moments that no one in the room will ever forget. A child psychologist was talking to a group of parents about what she was seeing in the young people who came to her for counselling and the particular pressures that she felt were on them. When a woman who had already, I think, made her presence felt in the Q&A session interrupted and she said, I just think some of these kids need to toughen up a bit when I was their age. But she never did get to finish the sentence because at that very moment, the psychologist put up her hand and said this, Madam, you were never their age. And I think that psychologist was right. We were never their age. Our children are growing up in a fast changing world, one that is light years away from the one that most of us grew up in. An incredible advertising campaign by the Children's Society recently displayed objects designed to reflect modern childhood. And the objects they chose included a child's stab vest, a self-hate notebook containing dark thoughts, anxiety concealer makeup, and a mobile phone case covered in messages of fear and worry. And that was before the pandemic. So the truth is that COVID-19 has impacted every area of society and especially our family life. Parents have been juggling homeschooling, homeworking. They've been riding the roller coaster of the teenage years without any of our usual support systems in place. In fact, I think it's as if the pandemic has held up a magnifying glass to our family life. So whilst the good stuff may have been strengthened, the challenges have just felt 100 times more difficult. And for many, and I think especially our teenagers, the challenges have felt overwhelming. Because at the very time, they should be flexing their muscles of independence. They found themselves grounded, hold up with their parents. And whilst none of us are immune from the impact of the pandemic, it's our young people's emotional well-being that has undoubtedly taken one of the biggest hits. 14-year-old Chloe summed things up in these few words. She said, I have never felt so consistently sad for so long. And in fact, research shows that in July 2017, one in nine children struggled with some kind of mental health difficulty. But by July 2020, this has risen to one in six. So that's five in every classroom. 
But before we add all these things to the list of items that are keeping us up at night, it's important to recognise they're not a prophecy of our children's future lives. We're seeing normal reactions to an abnormal set of life circumstances. Now, of course, it's important to say that if our children exhibit an ongoing pattern of behaviour and we're concerned, we should seek professional help. But let's not automatically medicalise feelings of boredom, frustration or loneliness or even confusion that many of our children will be feeling right at the moment. So our eight-year-old not wanting to get out of his pyjamas in the morning, that doesn't necessarily mean he's depressed. And our 15-year-old gaming into the night doesn't have to mean that she has an anxiety disorder. I think if we've learned anything from the pandemic, it's that change is here to stay. And if that's hard for us as adults, it's even harder for our children. Many are finding the constant change and disruption overwhelming. And parents are finding that helping our children navigate out of the pandemic is at least, if not more difficult than going into it in the first place. But whatever the issues are, the good news is that the people best placed to help our children navigate these challenging times are us, their parents. And to do that in the context of family, whatever shape, whatever size. Now, when our children are little, there are so many things that we know how to do to keep them healthy and safe. So maybe we limit sugar, we try and make sure they get enough sleep, we put boundaries around screen time, we teach them how to cross the road or to swim. But in the same way, there's so much that we can also do to help them grow emotionally. It's harder to spot and it's harder to measure. But there are things that we can do now, right in the midst of the ups and downs of family life, that will make a massive difference to helping them grow emotionally healthy and resilient. Now, in my book, uh, A Mind of Their Own, I've put lots of practical suggestions on how to do just that. And in the time that we have together, I'm going to look at three different areas. And the first is building resilience. Now, a scientific definition of resilience is the ability of a substance or an object to spring back into shape. And in the context of families, it was described as the ability to bounce back, to recover from a setback in life. But today, professionals have given resilience a much broader meaning. So rather than just bouncing back, it's also about bouncing forwards. In other words, it's not only about getting back to normal after facing difficulty, but learning from the process in order that we can deal with the next challenge that comes along. And resilience is key to our children's well-being. Resilient children tend to be more optimistic and motivated. They think more creatively. They're good at problem solving. They enjoy good friends. They communicate well and they have higher self-esteem. Resilience, and this is important, resilience isn't something that they're born with. It's a skill that they can learn. Now, a friend who's a psychiatrist recently told me of a wonderful conversation he had with his seven-year-old son, and it went something like this. 
So his son said to him, Dad, we learnt about resilience in school today. And he said, that's great. What did you learn? And his son said that resilience means bouncing back. And his dad said, so what's bouncing back? And he said, I don't know. We haven't learnt that bit yet. <laughs> but whilst learning about resilience in the classroom is a great thing, experiments using bouncing balls or putty or whatever other device teachers use to teach about resilience, that's only ever going to convey the theory. Because the truth is, resilience can really only be learnt in the context of the hard knocks of life. When something goes wrong, our children generally will respond in one of two different ways. So firstly, they may internalise the issues, so they may blame themselves. So maybe um, they've missed the goal in a football match and they come home, I'm rubbish at football, I'm so bad, I'm going to be dropped from the team, internalising their frustration. Or they may externalise it by blaming someone else. So Maybe they've not done well in their maths exam and they come home and they say, if only you'd help me more with my maths, if you tested me this morning, I'd have done better. It's all your fault. Now, whilst both of those two ways are natural, as parents, the key is not to our, allow our children to get stuck there. We need to step back and then just see if our children can solve the problem themselves. Now, it may be a problem that can't be solved. So uh, if that's the case, we need to simply allow them to feel sad or to feel frustrated. And then to enable them to, to move on, to learn from the experience, to bounce forward. Resilience generally isn't learnt in some mountaintop experience, but it's learnt in the everyday struggles of life. And as parents, if we, if we iron out all the difficulties in our children's lives and we give them the message then that pain is to be avoided at all costs and we're going to be setting them up for heartbreak and ultimately failure. Because the truth is an appropriate level of pain serves as a catalyst for building that important quality of emotional resilience. And that's exactly what the Bible says. So Romans chapter 5 says, even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence, knowing that our pressures will develop in us patient endurance. And patient endurance will refine our character and proven character leads us back to hope. And in fact, scientists in this respect talk about something called the hope circuit, which is exactly what Paul is talking about in Romans now, in my book, I put lots of activities and actions. So every single chapter has got action points and also activities uh, that families can do together to reinforce the learning. And for this, one of the ones I've put in is to let our children learn from natural consequences as appropriate. And that's a hard one because as parents, uh, we're hardwired to protect our children. We don't like seeing them go through difficulty. We want life to be plain sailing for them. And when we think like that, we can be what's known as a helicopter parent. 
Uh, helicopter parents are parents who come in at a moment's notice, rotor blades whirring, to swoop in and remove our children from difficult situations or sort them out for them. And hands up, that would have been me on many occasions. We have four children, they're grown up now, but the number of times when I was driving across town in rush hour traffic with a forgotten football kit or sports equipment or ingredients for a cookery class or whatever. And although our children were grateful, when I did that, I robbed them of the opportunity to learn from the experience. And to be honest, on the occasions when I didn't do it, they nearly always found a way around the problem. So we can step back as parents. We can give our children a chance to find their own solutions without immediately rushing in uh, to rescue them. And then secondly, we can encourage activities that are fun, not just ones that they're good at. So as a family, maybe we can think about doing things where there's a high chance of something going wrong. Now in our family, that was often things like playing crazy golf or going bowling, but where success isn't guaranteed. And then thirdly, I love this idea. This is one family used to have something that they called a failure Friday. So every now and then they'd have a nice meal together and they'd tell stories of important discoveries or inventions maybe that people had made after a struggle, after failure. Things like Play-Doh or the ice cream cone or even the Frisbee. And perhaps even more important and more valuable, sharing their own lessons uh, of things that they learnt the hard way. Now, we often think of the generation who grew up in the Second World War. Uh, we don't think of them as a damaged or a lost generation, but we think of them as being one of the most resourceful and resilient generations, simply because they learnt so much from facing those challenges in their youth. And I really believe in the same way, this generation need not be overwhelmed or damaged because with the right support from us, their parents, they can come through this challenging time more strong and more resilient. Because the truth is, as, as difficult as this last year has been, it's just one chapter of our children's lives. It's not the whole story. Throughout the Bible, God uses lessons learnt in the valley time and again to equip us and to shape our character. And I believe that some of the lessons, some of the skills our children are learning through the pandemic will be the very ones that help them manage challenge and difficulty in the future. So that's building resilience. Then the second uh, lesson that we can learn is helping our children manage their thinking. Now, I know as a parent, I found it so hard when our children have got stuck in downward spirals of negativity. Researchers say that our brains actually find it easier to focus on negative thoughts rather than on positive ones. And that's particularly the case for our children. And just to say at the outset, this is not about pretending everything in the garden is rosy when clearly it isn't. It's important for us and for our children to experience both positive and negative emotions. 
But having said that, we have such an important role to play as parents in helping our children manage their thinking. Because the difference that having a negative or a positive attitude makes to our emotional well-being is really significant. So Leah and Maria, they're doing what they love best. They're teenage girls and they're spending Saturday afternoon in town shopping. Now they squeeze into the changing room, they try on some clothes and they take some selfies. Later that evening, they post the pictures on social media and they both get loads of likes. But then a comment comes onto Maria's phone saying that she'd better do something about her fat tummy. Now, of course she feels hurt, but she's able to move on and she thinks instead, putting the comment aside, she thinks about how much she loves her new top and what a great bargain it was. But at the very same time, Leah is heading to bed and she sneaks a look at her phone and she sees that her friend has commented that she has scrawny arms and she just can't get it out of her mind. And pretty soon her thoughts are in free fall. She thinks my arms really are scrawny. I don't work out enough. I'll never have a good body. I'm so ugly. And suddenly after a really fun day out with her friend, the power of negative thinking has taken away her joy. Now I'm sure we've all been there with ourselves as well as our children, but the good news is this. Our brains aren't fixed. They can change. Scientists call it the plasticity of the brain. The Bible calls it the renewing of our minds. And it's possible to train our brains to think more positively. And this is how it works. So the brain is a pattern-seeking device. So when neurons in our brain are stimulated to work in a particular pattern, it's faster for the same patterns to be followed in the future. So the next time we do something, we'll find it easier. The time after that, it will be easier still and so on. So just imagine for a moment that you're trying to walk across an overgrown field and you have to fight your way through tall grasses and ferns and weeds and brambles and it's really hard work, but you make it through. And then the next day, because you'd already flattened some of that undergrowth uh, the day before, the field is a bit easier to cross and then the following day it's easier still. And eventually, by walking over it again and again, you make a clear wide path. Well, in the same way, our thought process says, our thought processes build pathways in our brains. So if we constantly have negative thoughts, the negative pathways become well used and those are the ones that our brains will choose. Now, as parents, we have the opportunity to help our children instead of thinking negatively to choose positive thoughts instead. And at first it's hard work because as they choose to stop thinking the negative thoughts, their neural pathways will gradually rewire and those positive ones will take over to become the motorways of their brain. And again, the Bible talks about this, Philippians 3, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. 
when we do that, when we think those positive thoughts, it builds our emotional well-being and we can help our children do that. So here are a couple of practical ways that as parents, we can help manage our children's thinking. So maybe at the end of the day, rather than asking our children, how was your day? You could say, tell me one good thing from your day. And that helps them focus on those positive things. Or another idea, blue to true thinking. So this is just another way of helping our children change those negative thoughts. So first of all, we get them to recognize any blue thoughts. So negative thoughts, maybe thinking negative things about themselves or maybe catastrophizing a situation. Then we help them replace those thoughts with true thoughts about themselves or the situation. And then we can encourage them uh, to remember the true thoughts by writing them down, maybe putting them on their phone to look at when those blue thoughts return. So we've looked at resilience. Uh, we've looked at encouraging our children to think more positively. And then thirdly, I think perhaps the thing that is at the heart of our children's emotional well-being would be this helping them discover their God-given identity. 16-year-old Angus has just started sixth form college. It was the first day of term and as he sat down for breakfast, his parents just smiled to themselves because he'd obviously made a huge effort with his appearance. So he was wearing ripped jeans, he was wearing a designer hoodie and he had gelled his hair to within an inch of his life. It was definitely a new look light years away from the navy blue blazer and tie that had been his school uniform up until now. But then, over the next couple of weeks, Angus appeared in a number of different outfits. So a collared shirt one day, glitter the next, goth the next. What was going on? Angus is asking the question that lies on the lips of every young person. Who am I? The teenage years are a time when young people are discovering their identity, but it's a stressful process because all this inventing and reinventing, it doesn't take place on a level playing field. There are so many different pressures and influences on their lives. And in particular, the digital age. It allows our young people to create an identity in a carefully curated stream of videos and Photographs with the pressure of social approval, meaning that our children are then measuring their worth by the number of their likes or followers uh, that they have. To discover who they are, our children are told that they simply need to look within. But here is the problem, because life doesn't come off the shelf ready to assemble. We need to base it on something. Now, society is giving our young people the message that they have complete freedom to choose their identity. So Elsa's song, Let It Go, from the film Frozen, it says, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. It's in a way an anthem for our time. It's the message that our children being, are being given, but it's, it's not a message that's helpful or that's true. Because to build a healthy identity, we need to raise our gaze. 
We need to adopt what one expert calls a part of something bigger than me mindset. Maybe that's why so many young people want to belong to a cause or to a tribe. And in fact, leading psychiatrist, Dr. Martin Seligman, uh, he says this, he says, one truth about meaning is this, the larger the entity to which you can attach yourself, the more meaning you will feel your life has. And he actually found that a key factor in building resilience in our young people's lives is religious hope. With all the pressures on our children, they aren't on a level playing field. There are no guarantees, but one of the best gifts we can give them in establishing their well-being is to be that voice that is louder than culture. Our voice letting them know that they can know that they don't need to construct an identity. Whatever they think, whatever they believe, whatever they do, whatever they look like, or however many times they fail. They have a father in heaven. They have someone who accepts them as they are. They're unique with gifts and talents. They're valued, they're accepted, and they're loved. As parents, will we make mistakes? Undoubtedly. Will we have regrets? Of course. But whatever our situation, we can have confidence that both we and our children are loved for who we are. And we can give this awesome task of parenting our very best shot. We can help them develop an emotional resiliency that will stand them in good stead for whatever the future holds. We can help them develop a mind of their own. Thank you for listening to this talk. If you would like to know more about New Horizon, please visit our website at newhorizon.org.uk.